Lost in the Long Box is sponsored by Gateway Comics and Toys. Gateway is located at 2368 Plank Road in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Our website is gatewaycomicsandtoys.com where you can find more information about our store, including hours, new releases, and specials for the week. Our social media is under Gateway Comics and Toys as well, so you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Can't access the, uh, the music, so we're just live now. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. Okay, then that works for me. Hey, everybody, welcome to Lost in the Long Box for Wednesday, September 9th. Um, I am your host, Randall. I have my co host, Olivia. Hello. Tommy. Hello. Uh, Madman working the boards, or apparently trying to work the oh. boards. <laughs> uh, I don't know where Enos is yet there, so you need to move up to your mic a little bit closer there. Okay. There you go. All right, so um, let's go ahead and jump in. Well, before we go to news items, how was everyone's Labor Day weekend? It's good. Good. Busy. Yes, I, weekends are always good. Right. Well, did, you have to remember this is my first uh, Labor Day weekend in 16 years where I was home. Oh, poor guy. I, yeah, I'm normally at Dragon Con. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know you're sad, but I, I had a good day. I was very sad. I actually got to use Dante's line though out of Clerks. Because, you know, I usually take off Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday for it. And then Friday, as I was going upstairs to get coffee, I was like, I'm not even supposed to be here today. Of course, right over my wife's head, didn't get it. I'm like, okay, well, the joke well, yeah, only sure. works if you know where it's coming from. So, right. All right, so um, who's got news items for me? You go first. Okay. Um, so today, Wonder Woman 762 came out. Um, and it's a really big book for those of you who are avid fans. Her new villain was released two issues ago. Um, her name is Liar a Liar, and they're going to tie it into the whole Maxwell Lord storyline that they're doing. So if you're a Wonder Woman fan at all, definitely check that out. Oh, so I didn't realize it ties into Maxwell Lord. Mm -hmm. um, and does, this, does he remember the whole neck snapping thing she did to him? I, I, you don't want to give I'll, that away? I'll hold my, my comments for now until everybody reads it. There's some interesting things that are going on with that for sure. So the issue I just picked up today. Yes. Man, I'm glad I actually told you to put that in my box then. Okay. Because uh, I haven't been reading Wonder Woman for a while, so maybe now this is a good jump on point. It's a good story arc to follow, especially if you haven't been into it for a while. All right. Then I will go ahead and start picking up Wonder Woman since, you know, DC's cutting half their titles anyway. <laughs> uh, Tommy, what do you have? So Robert Pattinson tested positive for COVID-19, bringing, bringing the production of the Batman to a halt. Right. So... He, that's that's been stopped for a while, I guess, until they can get you know negative. And he, it's a, from what I'm seeing here, he has to quarantine for at least ten days, right? And then pass a you know pass get a negative test before they can even consider restarting. Well, I think it's you have to quarantine for ten days. You have to take the test, and then I think they make you do another ten days and test again, right? So yeah, I mean, that's what that's what it looks like here, as well as anybody that was with him within you know, close vicinity with him for 15 minutes has to go through this too. Which would be like, what, 75% of the cast and the crew there? I would imagine, so. yeah. And so. I, I did make a little snipey comment about that uh, on our uh, chat and Facebook. Uh, I think someone originally posted it, and I'm like, I know I'm not supposed to say yay, but, and then I just kind of like left it. I'm, I'm sorry, just what I've seen so far hasn't impressed me. Yeah. Some things are so. just signs. So we're coming to a halt there. Um, another interesting news that I heard today, uh, Walking Dead is going to be ending after the 10th season. So, so issue, that's big stuff. Issue for, got, you know, um, season 11 is the last one, right? 
What's that? Season eleven is going to be the last one. Season eleven will be, be the last one. They're they're going to be they're doing season ten right now. Um, but from the looks of things, there's going to be plenty of spinoffs. So you guys that are Walking Dead fans don't have anything to worry about. You're still going to be able to get your fix of, of various Walking Dead. Well, stories. hang on. So I know they had Fear of the Walking Dead. Isn't mm-hmm. there another one that you were premiering? Yeah, there's another one that's supposed to be coming out. It looks like there's going to be a new spinoff starring Norman Reedus and Melissa McBride, who are um, you know Daryl and Carol on the right. on the. Uh, so we're going to be getting that one. Um, it looks like there's supposed to be some some other stuff too. That's huh. going to be um, you know exploring the other areas that we haven't se- that hasn't been seen in The Walking Dead. I I don't watch the show, so I don't know a lot about it. My wife loves it, but I I never really got into it. So. Yeah, I got to admit, I stopped watching it after like the the first three seasons because it just I'm always an avid comic book fan and it was just too far off. Well, and that was a funny thing because I was reading all the um, the hardback collections, and for a while there I was ahead of the show, obviously. Mm-hmm. But then they finally got up to the point where I had quit reading. I think like volume twelve was my last one where they got up to the whispers. So then the show caught up to the comic, and I quit reading the comic because, I mean, Tommy knows my complaint criteria criticism is the whole here's the big bad defeat the big bad oh look here's a new bad group and the show was starting to do the same thing yeah um although let's give it up for um negan what is the act now i can't remember the actor's oh, name uh, oh. jeffrey dean Jeff- morgan jeffrey dean morgan oh he nailed it as negan so but all right so some news items i have apparently bob fujitani the creator or co-creator of Solar, Men of the Atom, Dr. Solar, passed away over the weekend at 98. Oh, wow. Um, he actually worked in comics from 1940 up until all the way through the 80s. Um, he was an assistant to Will Eisner. So that tells you where some of his um, story style came from. Um, and he did like the ghost artist bit for comics like Rip Kirby and, and Flash Gordon. Also worked for Marvel, MLJ Comics. I don't know who that is. Quality Comics, uh Never do anything for DC, which doesn't make any sense for me. But, you know, Gold Key, Dr. Solar was like, uh, I think, their first big title over there. And then when Valiant in the 90s um, started, one of the key characters they um, resurrected was Dr. Solar. Uh, Have you read the Valiant Solar series? I have not. Those are actually really good, um, especially the first 10 issues. Uh, issue 10 of Valiant Solar has that famous black cover, which everybody went, okay, why is the cover black? Which was a big indicator because something bad happens in it. So, Yeah, the um, the Valiant series, from my understanding, the, the 90s Valiant stuff was was pretty good was stuff. fantastic. I, I, didn't, I didn't read any of it because I, I was, you know, on a budget and really didn't have it in there for, for uh, you know, a lot of new stuff. So I didn't get into it. But, you know, my understanding is really good. I know I liked the Exo Manowar reboot that came out a few years back. That was that was that really, was really good. good too. I I will admit that I read all of the the nineties Valiant books um, because mm-hmm. Oodles and Noodles was my friend, but because they were like what fifty cents a packet or something back then. But yeah, so I read like um, Archer and Armstrong. I read um, Solar Men of the Atom or uh, Doctor Solar. I read. Um, Harbinger. Harbinger was another great book of theirs, too. The problem was Acclaim Bottom, and right down it went. Yeah, my understanding that was they went down the tubes as soon as they changed ownership. Well, they Acclaim Bottom, and then their first press release was actually that they were going to concentrate on some comic books tied to their video game properties. And everybody was like, well, there's that death knell. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. 
So, uh, other news too, and Olivia probably knows this one. Batman: The Three Jokers Number One is going to a second printing. Yes, that's going to be huge as well. Right, and the cover on it actually features the um, Joker shark, a shark puppet from the vacuum first issue. Oops, spoiler alert. So, um, and I didn't know this. Apparently, that thing topped three hundred thousand dollars, three hundred thousand sales it units. Was amazing. Same and I mean, that just doesn't happen anymore. Nope. <laughs> yeah, that's big time. We haven't seen numbers like that in years we blew through our initial orders in first two days and then doubled it still blew through that and it it was in the thousands it was crazy now tommy have you read it i have not yet i have it but i have not read it yet all right you want one you might want to earmuff because i'm I'm sorry it's like a couple of weeks from now i was reading that and there's a whole scene with barbara and um jason and she goes put the gun down. I'm thinking, oh, God, I know where this is going. And then she throws a battering, and then he's like, when was the last time you missed? And I'm like, oh, this is so good. It was so good. But I had to warn people, everybody that walked in, you can't flip to the back page. Yeah, don't look at the back page or you're going to hate life. Right. All right. (laughs) (laughs) He actually did, too. He earmuffed and waited for me to snap my fingers at him on camera that he could go ahead. Hello, Enos. Welcome to the show. Hey, what's going on? Um... So I actually covered our news items that we had. Do you have one? Yes, I do. Word is that uh, Marvel is not uh, wasting any time in regard to the Black Panther film because they has already been stated that they are going to be paying, they'll definitely be paying tribute to Chadwick Boseman in this film. Now, where, where T'Challa is going to be, how what um, role is going to play, who knows? But definitely, they've got it on tap for a definite tribute to Chadwick Boseman as well. They should. So, are they going to recast him, or are they going to? <clears throat> well, I have not heard anything yet. But the way I see it, I'm I'm not sure if you read it last night. I mm-hmm. posted an assessment of of what I thought about it, and basically, um, it is hard. Chadwick Boseman is a tough act to follow. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. However. T'Challa is technically still with us. So really, it, it wouldn't make any sense to bury him because to me, that would be be like something I don't think Bozeman would want. I think he would want the franchise to go on and someone, it, it was just like whoever p- portrays T'Challa next won't be taking, he'll, he'll just be taking Chadwick's space and not taking his place. Right, because I, I noticed um, bringing that up, just now in Empire Issue 6. See, this is how far behind I'm still halfway through Empire 6, right? Um, I have not read Empire yet. I have all the comics, but I have not read them yet. I'm behind. Well, earmuff again. So, (laughs) because, uh, spoiler alert for you guys who haven't read it, Black Panther dies, like in Issue uh, 4 or 5 of that, I think. Um, But then he comes back. He comes um, back in the same issue. He goes... He comes back and he says, well, remember, I'm I'm the king of the dead. like, oh, crap, that's right. He is. All right. So... Well, I mean, here's my take on the whole situation. If anything, <laughs> Chadwick Boseman was a symbol of hope for a lot of people, and I think that's more than anything what he wanted to be. So I've seen a lot of different things. The general consensus that I keep reading is that they do not necessarily want to replace him as the actor and in the role, but they're going to give the mantle to Shuri. I would love and to see that. I don't know if 
if it's too soon, but I would love to see it. And a lot of people have said, give the mantle to Shuri, as, you know, because in the comics, doesn't she get it for a while anyway? Yes, she so. does. I think she's you almost have to go with her at this yeah. point. Well, what is, well, there's one thing that's problematic about that. Okay. The thing with Shuri is, in essence, she's a new character. She's only been around 15 years because she made her debut in 2005. Number two, which is going to probably be the big the big thing, is that Letitia Wright, who played her in the film, portrayed her in such a positive manner and was a great um I mean, was a great um I don't want to say symbol or no example for for young women who wants to get into technology and things because she was so techno technologically sound. However, in the comics, Shuri is nothing like that. And in and in the storyline where she did take over for the Black Panther, to take over for T'Challa, who was beaten into a comatose state by the cabal, which a lot of people are saying he died. No, he didn't. Um she the plant that they that gives him his abilities, she rejected the plant. And when she went to the celestial realm, she kind of rubbed the ancestors and the panther god the wrong way with her arrogance. And on top of that, it was revealed that she was jealous of T'Challa. And I think that if they had her do a, had Letitia Wright do a complete 360 and act like that, that would take away from the impact she has as a character. Because I loved her. She stole the show. And the fact that you could tell that she was devoted to her mother and brother. So are you really using the argument that it won't work because a character in a movie is not the same character from the comics? Are you really using that don't, argument? Don't, yeah, they'll change it. No, but what I'm How saying... How many times have we stood on our soapbox, oh, yeah. the soapbox and oh, yeah. preached oh. to the other... No, no, no. <laughs> you don't even get to speak now. Oh, see that. Ah, okay. Ah, <laughs> we okay. Have, we have stood here and preached to the people, get over yourselves, be happy they're even making the movies, and now you're going to use the same argument we've been shooting them all down on. It. Well, Is that right? No. <laughs> because I'm looking at the impact that both she and Chadwick both... You can't T'Challa. You can't put someone other than Chadwick in that role. So you can't. I, I just... There's no way to do it. Um, so it's going to have to be either a new male character taking over as Black Panther as someone other than T'Challa, or you're going to have to go with Shuri. And I think Shuri's the way to go. When I think part of it is that in the movie, she was the younger little sister who was like kind of naive. Not, yeah. Not in the, you know, the typical sense, but you know what I mean? Because T'Challa was the older big brother who was protective and had to take care of everyone. So it's hard right. to see her going from that to being like a, a diehard warrior and everything. But. I'm all for it regardless. Oh, yeah, I would like to see it, but I just would like to see them advance more upon the positive impact <clears throat> that um, of, sure, of, of Letitia Wright's portrayal than of how she is in the comics. But, but because the the what the movie was better to me and better than the comics, and I think um, Shuri had a very big impact. And I just and the, and the reason why I'm making that argument is because look at the look at the impact she had, like Chadwick on all children. Look at what she had for girls, yeah. and 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 then the last thing that I wanted to, wanted want to see is them flip that positive image of her because. You know, Ladies, uh, 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 our ladies are our greatest asset, and, and I think the, the the more positively they are portrayed, I think it's better for everyone. 
but that's just, but then again, like uh, Dennis Miller said, that's just my opinion. I could be wrong. Gotcha. So, uh, Madman, real quickly, are you seeing all three of us okay on the screen for the the feed? I see you're fine. I cannot turn my mic on. Okay, that's fine. I'm just making sure because all I see is Tommy, and I don't know how the rest of us are looking. So let's get to the show and tell. Um, we actually got some good stuff this week because our subject is going to be the newsprint comic strips. Um, and a lot of people you um, – we're going to get into this as we go um, – had great influence on comic books themselves. So Enos brought in Gold Key, The Phantom. I, I love the Gold Key comics, but you know what's infuriating about them? Can't find a freaking number. number on any of them. You have to open every one of them up to find out what number they are. We got the comic counter, Madman. Is it showing up? Uh, so we got the Phantom there by Gold Key. That is actually a good. That is the one thing I did like about Gold Key. They also had really awesome covers because I really like the fact that, and I think Marvel stole this from them. How it's just in one corner there, they don't take up the whole page with their logo. So right. And then I brought in Superman 191. Now, you know why I brought in Superman 191? I do not. Because Superman does have a comic strip as well. Um, mm -hmm. Ran for, what was it, 40 years or something like that? No, Spider-Man ran for 40 years. But we're going to be talking about that here soon. And then Madman brought in E-Man, number one. Now, unfortunately, this oh, is actually... phenomenal. That's actually a reprint, E-Man. We were just discussing that earlier before the show started because it's put out by Modern Comics, um, and the original publishers of that was Charlton. Um, and I had to go look it up because I realized it was Charlton, and then Madman was like, but that says Modern. I'm thinking, oh, well, we got a, an issue here. And that, that is a reprint. But you know what? E-Man was actually one of those nice parody type of books. So, Madman... Uh, my, Madman Tommy, I want you to show off yours next because Olivia brought in something huge and I'm going to have to do it special. All right, so I don't have something that goes along with the show this week. I'd hope to, but this is something I acquired recently. It's seen better days, but it's, so it's low grade, but it's, it's, it's still beautiful and I love it. It is Fantastic Four number 49. You showed that off of last week, cheater. I did not show that on the show last week. I showed it to you. Oh. <laughs> All right. Yeah, this is the first appearance of Galactus. That is That's a very nice book. Mine, yeah. and it's it's glorious. <laughs> so wait till you see what I show off next week. Oh yeah, I think, <laughs> I, I think I'm going to pick that up tomorrow and and, and show it off next week. Oh, oh yeah. Uh oh. So he saw the cool book. There, there, oh oh okay. yeah. There's a couple of them under that. Okay. okay. So anyway. anyway. Since we are talking about newsprint comic strips, Olivia brought in. This is actually a very cool book. The Smithsonian Collection of Newspaper Comics. And this is so huge, I'm going to show it right to the camera. Uh, someone read me the comments there on the screen. Who's talking to me? Mark Weinhardt. Yeah. We wants it. Fans would scream about a replacement for T'Challa. Don't see that could happen. Right. There we go. So, Enos, since you are a writer by the monitor, that is your job, brother. Um, <laughs> this is actually a good book. If you look at it, too, it's got a lot of nice representation or reprints of the comic strips as well. Um, this is fantastic. I could just spend hours just looking at this thing. In fact, I got a great idea. You guys run the show and talk about it. I'll just sit here and read the book. All right. There we go. So anyway, let me put this to the side here. So what a lot of people don't realize is the modern comic book came about because of the comic strip in newspapers. Um, but before we get down here, let's go ahead and, and start talking about them. Um, the first... 
considered the first Amer- North American comic trip was The Yellow Kid, yeah. uh, which is also newspaper strips. And there was also um, Max Amonti by a German painter and author named Wil- Wilhelm B- Busch. Um, and then also Rudolf Dirks, who did The Cass and Jammer Kids. Um, now, the reason these guys are mentioned is because they, Cass and Jammer Kids are considered having brought in the thought balloons and the word balloons, um, which is, are staples um, in both comic strips and comic books and what have you. Um, and it turns out that <clears throat> the reason a whole lot of the comics got popular in newspapers was because of a bit of a competition between Pulitzer and Hearst. Um, mm. So two competing paper companies are the reasons we are started getting comic strips. But since they were doing so well on the comics, you know, in a newspaper, someone had this idea, well, let's just take all the Sunday funnies and let's publish them in a book and see if they'll sell. Um, so your very early comic books were nothing more but reprints of the Sunday funnies. Um, and they were doing so well. Remember, they would be, not remember, ha, <laughs> no one here remembers that. Uh, but originally... They were being sold in gas stations of all places. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. Right. Not, not, not like a bookstore or a newsstand, but because they did so well, that's where they started showing up next. And then finally you had a couple companies, uh, mainly being National Periodical, who will become DC, said, well, what happened if we put some original material in one of these? Do you think that'll work? And then, boom, there she goes. Um, so that I, I had to mention a little bit of the history of the comic strip to understand why we are carving it because those gave us these quite simply. I mean, it's, it's that simple because the storytelling method, the words balloons, the thought balloons all started in the comic strip, which is how this is told to us in comic books. I mean, it's, it's that simple. Um, so who wants to take the first comic strip? I know you guys have some you want to talk about. Well, actually, going off of that, another thing that I wanted to point out is I don't think a lot of people realize that most of the greats, the comic book artists, they stopped, started in the strips. Yes. Will Eisner, his spirit was in the Register and the Tribune Syndicate. Steve Ditko was in a German newspaper when he was stationed over there. Um, Stan Lieber and Larry Lieber did their Spider-Man book originally, um, and they were syndicated nationally. Stan Lieber is more affectionately known as Stan Lee. And then even Jack Kirby was syndicated and, and did a bunch of comic strips throughout his run. Um, it is so important to the history of comics. There's also a really great story, because I was going to cover the Spider-Man com- uh, comic strip later, but I did not know this. Do you know that they tried a pitch for an Amazing Spider-Man comic strip and it was turned down the first time? <laughs> That's so, hard to believe mm. now. Right, but the comic book was already going. Is what's funny. So, yeah, that's weird. So you know what? I will go ahead and just go first. Um, I'm going to go with a comic strip that is also um, the father of the modern superhero, and that is Superman. Um, so a lot of people out there, the Superman comic strip, and I find this really interesting. The Superman comic strip premiered on January 16th, in 1939. Action Comics number one was in June 1938. So not even a year later, he's already getting a comic strip. Now, this means either one of two things. Either the character was that popular that National Periodical said, hey, let's start putting these in the newspaper as well, or somebody at National Periodical really knew what they were doing and said, start writing up a comic strip. Because, I mean, that's a fast turnaround for back then, right? Yeah. The other thing that's really interesting, the comic strip... 
predates Superman number one. Okay. So Superman number one doesn't hit newsstands until June of 39. The comic strip hits in January of 1939. Um, the other thing that's kind of really interesting, they were not reprints of the comic books. They were original stories. So the other thing, and there's some really interesting history about the Superman comic. Lex Luthor is premiered in the comic strip, not the comic book. That's where we first, well, I'm sorry. That's where we first see the bald Lex Luthor. Okay. Um, Enos, what do we got there? Okay. I arguably probably one of the most popular. Nope, nope, nope. The, on the screen. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, is that still Mark? Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that was still there. Um, but so Lex Luthor, the bald Lex Luthor, um, we also have a storyline, and this one just <laughs> had a storyline of Clark Kent marrying Lois Lane in the comic strip. Think about this. Which would be a huge event nowadays. Yeah. Right. But, and they did it in the comic strip before the comics ever even thought about it. And then the other one, and I know I'm just going to butcher this, but then everybody who reads comics um, butchers this. Mr. Mixoplexit um, was first... Showed first shows up in the Superman comic strip. The funny thing is, he shows up in Superman 30, but due to some publishing lag time and issues or what have you, he makes it in the comic strip first before he does the comic book. That's <laughs> such a great character. I love Mr. Mitzelblick. So interesting debate there is what is his first appearance? Right. Um, so the way I read it here, for, let me see if I can put this here. Um, it was going to be in Superman 30, 19, 1944, but there was a publishing lag time, and then the people who were doing the daily strip managed to get it out there before the comic book hit. And I think it was all because, gee, printing delays even in 1944. Nope. What do you know? Um, so, yeah, that is actually a, a pretty good debate. I bet you that's another one you could, like, you know, where did uh, Mixoplicit first appear? The Superman comic strip or Superman 30 and then just walk away and wait. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I'd just like throw it up on a page and just see where the debate goes. Right. Try right up there with Hulk 180 and 181. Just mm. throw it out there yeah. and walk away and get the popcorn. That's right, because <laughs> people get violent over that. Yeah, they do. Dude. Um, but apparently the, the book ran, not the book, I'm sorry, the comic strip ran till I guess, the late 70s. Um, and then it came back again in 1978 although it was retitled like World's Greatest Superheroes, and then retitled back to Superman back in the 80s. So, But yeah, uh, comic book hero crossed right into comic strips, had a very long run. Um, I'm just going right down the line. Olivia? Okay. Um, so I did grow up reading Calvin and Hobbes. That was my favorite. Well, not grow up. I say that, but you know what I mean. That was always my favorite as a kid, rereading them as they were reprinted. Um, so Calvin and Hobbes was my favorite, but actually I'm going to talk about Garfield because I was more interested in the history of what went on with Garfield than the actual stories. Everybody, or most everybody, should know Garfield. It's kind of one of the most iconic comic strips ever, and they made a ton of movies. Flannery would get you everywhere. Exactly. Right. <laughs> um, but it kind of started off as an experiment by... The comic creator Jim Davis. He essentially went through and did a bunch of research and created the comic strip based around the animal that he thought would get the most media attention and get the most um, response and feedback to it. So this was in 1972, 1975. He initially started to get it. He was working as an assistant for T.K. Ryan's Tumbleweeds, mm. and that's when he started 
doing comic strips in general. His first one was Norm Nat, which only ran in, ran in Pendleton, Indiana, up until 1975. Um, but then later in kind of like late 70s, early 80s is when it really had its claim to fame. And it was just essentially him looking at what are all the popular aspects of the comic strips he's reading, transforming it into something that everybody could relate with, with like everyday family antics, but also centering around this very lazy lasagna obsessed dad. <laughs> who doesn't love a lasagna, right? I mean, that's true. And who doesn't hate Mondays? Right. Oh, yeah. Most people who work down the world. So, so <laughs> basically what I'm hearing is, is Jim was the, the um, precursor to cat videos. Basically, yeah. that's <laughs> the way to look at it. I like that. Pretty much. That, that, that's a good call. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> well, think about it. I mean, one of the most entertaining strips out there deals around a cat. And how many people here, raise your hand, has lost hours on the internet to stupid cat videos no. and gone, what in the hell did I just do? Both hands up on that one. Between them and the dogs, man, I'm telling you. Well, and then in 2002, ironically, I mean, you think about that, it became the world's most syndicated strip ever. It was in over 2,570 newspapers worldwide with 263 million readers. Wow. Now yeah. think about that. Everybody says, okay, yeah, whatever. But think about what he's beating out. Peanuts. Yeah. That have been around for um, Blondie, which have been around for decades, generations. Um, Popeye. Family Circus, Popeye, Dick um, Tracy, the right. Phantom, Andy so, Cap. huh? Andy Cap, does a- Andy Cap, yes. Um, there's tons. You know, you, you talk about syndication, you're like, oh, he has a comic trip. Okay, big deal. You no, know, there was a lot of comic trips that had been around for years, generations. You know, children grow up on them, their parents grew up on them, and this comic is beating them all. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. One billion dollars worth of merchandise revenue in 111 countries as of 2005. Uh, so, who did the voice of him in the movie? Oh, Bill Murray. Uh, Bill there Murray. You go. <laughs> yes, it was. Bill and who was the voice on the animated series? I don't know. Not Bill Murray. Didn't watch no. it. Um, you're gonna kick yourself when I tell you because you know who it is. His name is Lorenzo Music, but we knew him growing up on the TV series Rhoda. It's Carlton Uderman. <laughs> oh, God, that's right. <laughs> Hello, this is Carlton Uderman. <laughs> so we are the, all right, we have to quit dating ourselves because it, yeah. nobody else in the room got that. <laughs> okay. All right, so what do you have for comic trips then, Enos? I have my favorite. That is The Ghost Who Walks Himself, The Phantom, who predates both. He is the he has the distinction of being the first costumed comic strip character, making his debut on February seventeenth, nineteen thirty six. Yep. Um, he was um just he's he just is one of the most phenomenal characters that's out there who has truly stood the test of time, and um as he has made his way into both um. From just he graduated from comics to comic books, he was and he um his first appearance on screen was in 1943. Coincidentally, was the same first same year that Batman made his first appearance on screen, but in movies in a movie serial that was um produced by the same company, Columbia. 
And the actor who portrayed the Phantom was out, coincidentally, the first actor who brought us Captain Marvel, the late great Tom Tyler, who was a Western, who was primarily a Western actor, but he nailed these characters tremendously. Now, my only um, complaint about the Phantom serial, there wasn't Hero. Um, that his uh, his white horse, his white stallion. But nevertheless, it was it, it was very entertaining to watch, and it still holds up to this day. Also, now, I I just want to ask real quick. I know with the the superheroes like like Batman and Superman and Spider Man, whatever, they appear in the comic book first and then go to comic strips. Isn't Phantom the first and only one who starts the other way around? Yes, as a comic strip and then into comic yes. books. Yes, 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 and um. He was created by by the legendary Lee Falk, who also um, created Mandrake the Magician. Now, um, talk about longevity. Lee Falk worked on and wrote the script from 1936 until his passing in 1999. And it has been written ever since by Tony DePaul. But let me give you a list of some of the artists that have worked on The Phantom. Uh, the first artist was Ray Moore. Then we have Wilson McCoy, Bill Ignanti, who coincidentally does the art in that book that you have there, um, who was also an animator on the first Batman animated series for Filmation and was a mainstay in, in, in animation, period. Um, and, and we have Keith Williams, George Olson, Keith Williams, who I'm friends with. Shout out to you, Keith. Um, Fred Fredericks, who was the artist on the Star Comics Defenders of the Earth um, tie-in comic back in 1986. Graham Nolan, who is um, the co-creator of Bane and was a mainstay on uh, Detective Comics during the late, uh, mid to late 1990s. And the late, great Eduardo Barreto, who was uh, the artist of Superman back in the post and after the crisis on Infinite Earth series. Paul Ryan, who was the um, artist of the Fantastic Four doing that during that storyline where everyone thought Doom and Reed were dead and they go back in time and find Reed. And Terry Beatty, who is coincidentally the um, anchor for... Um, I think he's done John Byrne. No, that's Terry Austin. But Terry Beatty, who's a great artist in his own right. and But the Phantom is a cultural icon in the continent of Australia. And they, um, he is so big that he actually has shops, merchandise, stores, and a, and a lot of pop culture things related to him in on that continent. And some of the um, greatest are some, there's some great talent that come from Australia that has worked on the character. Uh, no, most notably, Dave DeVries and Glenn Lumsden, who were the writing and art team for the three-issue Marvel series that came out in 1995. So I noticed this book, because you said Lee Falk was the writer. Mm -hmm. um, he was writing the strip and the book, right? Yes. Okay. And and these aren't reprints of the comic strips. These are original no. new stories. So. Yes. That means he was creating a really deep and rich history of this character for generations. And it's funny that you mentioned the word history, which that was the that was the fuel that helped create the Phantom because Lee Falk was such a fan of history and wanted, and he tied in historical events with the um with, with the Phantom's adventures. And at one point, the Phantom um the Phantom's one of the Phantom's ancestors met William Shakespeare. And when um, 
and uh, young Kit Walker was going to be an actor. And back then, all the actors um, were boys. They played the male and female parts. So um, his father was against it, and little did he know, he wound up becoming the the Phantom. Uh, But the uh, current, but the comic strip follows the exploits of the twenty first Phantom. And um, if I spoke of it a few moments ago, um, we did see the Phantom in a spin in a television series um, called Defenders of the Earth, which brought the iconic characters of the King's Feature Syndicate, Flash Gordon, Mandrake the Magician, the Phantom, and Lothar and their children on um, brought them together for a group of adventures. And the Phantom was voiced by Peter Mark Richmond, who was who played Suzanne Summers' father on the old Three's Company TV series and on Long Street, which so, um, introduced us to Bruce Lee and James Francis. Mandrake the Magician, didn't he end up at DC? I want to say yes. I've heard of him. I'm pretty sure he is in I DC. I want to say he was an adventurous comic uh, staple over there, too. Uh, yeah. You might be thinking about Zatara. Well, Zatara, but I thought they had Mandrake also. Um, I, he, um, oh God, I can't think of the guy's name. Anyway, Sargon the Sorcerer, I think that's who yeah, you're thinking of. Yeah, okay, about. that's who I'm thinking of. All right, Phantom, very good. Tommy, who do you have? All right, I'm going to go ahead and take Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> so it was created by uh, cartoonist Bill Watterson in November 18th, 1985, and ran for until uh, December 31st, 1995. It was the adventures of six year old Calvin and his stuffed tiger Hobbes. Calvin saw Hobbes as a real live tiger, whereas everybody else saw him as a stuffed animal. Right. Um, great stuff. At the height of its popularity, it was featured in over 2,400 newspapers worldwide. And in 2010, reruns of the strip appeared in more than 50 countries, and nearly 45 million copies of the book has been sold. Um, it had a really great supporting cast of his parents. Of course, Susie Durkins, the little girl. Um <laughs> Some of the greatest, the greater stuff in later years were the ones where they, where they drew, uh, where creators made unofficial ones of him at the end of his life, where he's married Susie and he wants to see. His I've seen that when his wife brings the stuffed tiger from down out of the attic and he gives it to his kid. Yeah. Yeah, I got to say, I, I, I watered up a little bit when reading that. I'm not going to lie. Um, one of the big things with with Watterson, though, is he never wanted to merchandise the character. So there was a lot of money that was left, basically left on the table for that. Um, by some estimates, he he missed out on anywhere between three hundred to four hundred million dollars by not merchandising Calvin and Hobbes. Ouch. Right. Mm. Well, and, and I think um, I think he uh, even said um, if he could ever find the right platform to to do licensing or merchandising, he would do it. But nothing ever appealed to him. Right. And I mean, you know, I got to admire the guy's, uh, you know, commitment and everything. I, I don't know if I could, um, you know, turn down 300 to 400 million dollars. I, I, I'm not really sure I could do that. I, I think I'd have artistic integrity until they told me how much I could possibly make. And then that would probably fly out the window. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there are some exceptions of some officially licensed merchandise um, during the strips run. There was two 16 month calendars. Um, a T-shirt that was created for the Smithsonian exhibit, uh, Great American Comics, 100 Years of Cartoon Art. And it's something that's apparently very hard to find. It's a textbook called Teaching with Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> I've never <laughs> even heard of that one. So that sounds like that's probably that, that piece right there is probably the holy grail of Calvin and Hobbes. So all my favorite Calvin and Hobbes always were when he was out in the snow. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. And, and I love the one where he made um, – in front of the father's car, like 
a, a snow person that had been hit with like the head falling off and like three other snow people like all screaming in terror and both his mom and dad are looking at it and like we've got to get that kid to a psychologist <laughs> yeah it, it it was a hilarious strip i mean i definitely strongly recommend you guys going out there and, and looking for a calvin and hobbs book and just sitting down and, and reading it it was it was very enjoy, enjoyable it's hard to believe it was only around for a shorter period of time right. is what it was i mean what that's 10 years you know well. So compared to some of the the other ones like Peanuts or, you know, Enos is the Phantom or the Superman news strip and stuff like that. It wasn't really around that long, but it was great. And it made a it made a long lasting impact. Also had that great one where Hobbs was going to help him build a snowman. And so they're rolling this ball, right? You know, like, you know, you roll the ball for the base mm-hmm. and they get this huge ass ball. Well, sorry, they get this really huge ball of snow. And uh, Hobbs is talking about how who you know that was tiring, and Calvin's like, "Well, we can't stop now. We got to make nine more of these." And, and he went, nine more." He's like, well, "Sure, this is just one of his toes." <laughs> and then he did last panel is all you see is Calvin's feet sticking out of the thing, and Hobbs walking away. <laughs> mm. All right. Funny. Funny stuff. <laughs> yeah, possible recommendation for any kind of news trip. Uh, re- yeah, there's trade paperbacks out of there. Like, um, I know one of the ones I had is something under the bed is drooling is a good one. Um, yeah, I had one. I had one of the first ones at one point, and I couldn't find it. I was going to use it for show and tell tonight since we were doing news strips, but I can't find it. I may have. I may have got rid of it at yeah. some point. I kind of hope I hadn't because I'd, I'd like to read it again. It's right up there with Farside. Farside's another great one. That's a good um, one. Yeah, it is. Which uh, Olivia, what do you have? Well, so Calvin and Hobbes was my second one I was going to go Oh, did Tommy take it? Yeah, I was heartbroken because <laughs> it really is my favorite. But that's, I had all the books. I still have all the books. Um, it was my favorite. It was like the really cool mix of like, you feel like you're reading like one of the classic comic strips that's coming out, but it's also, you can relate to it kind of as a kid because I grew up reading it probably around some, not quite his age, but I was a kid kid. Uh-huh. Right. Um, well, and it's just, it's like his whimsical adventures, but also as an adult, you can go back and read it and like relate more with the parents to like having to deal with the kid and his wild antics. Oh yeah. Cause, cause Calvin was, was, was a handful to say the least. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. To say the least, he was into everything. So, well, and that's what, made, that's what made the, 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 yes. Yeah. As Mark is saying here, Spaceman Spiff. <laughs> oh, I love Spaceman Spiff. Spaceman, the Spaceman Spiff ones were some of my favorites. They were always hilarious, good for a laugh. I like how, uh, and he did what every kid did. I know I did it growing up. I'm sure you guys did it. He took the big cardboard box that the refrigerator or the stove or something came in, and you made some type of machine out of it, like a time machine or a fire engine or what have you. He well, made the great. Did, Randy, everybody, everybody knows a kid's favorite toy is a big cardboard box. He made box. the, what was it, the transmorgifier, which was actually changing into something else. And he, became, he went in and came out as a tiger. Yeah. <laughs> a cardboard box can be anything. It's oh, yeah. Other- Boys. So, all right, I have another one I'm going to, and since we talked about it, um, the Amazing Spider-Man comic strip. Um, so this one is actually really unique and uh, as well, because I was telling Olivia, Stan Lee first proposed the Spider-Man comic strip in 1970, um, and it was rejected. They, it, they didn't publish it. Um, so I don't know why it got rejected. It says that um, Stanley was a writer and John Romita Sr. was going to be the artist, but it was never picked up. Um, and it got published later in like a 1975 Mighty Marvel comic uh, convention special. So I bet if you can find that, that'd be worth a pretty penny. Um, but it did finally uh, get published in 1977. Um, but what was really weird about it is that 
it was a true serial type of comic. The storylines would sometimes run 8 to 12 weeks. So if you didn't pick that thing up every day and came back a week later, you were lost, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I know for a fact myself tried reading that comic strip, and you would pick up in the middle of the story, and you were like, I'm not going to go back and find you know three weeks' worth of newspapers to find out what's going on, because every day it picked up on a story. And Stan Lee wrote it the entire run. So from 1977 until 2019 when he quit writing it. Now, I'm willing to bet it was ghostwritten a bit, but they're not actually saying that, and they're probably never going to admit it for a while. Um, but I remember talking to Mad Men about this, and let me go ahead and look it up here. Most of the strips like ran 8 to 12 weeks, um, but I believe there were story arcs. Oh, it! this is going to bum me out, because there's one that ran for like maybe a couple of months. Eight to twelve weeks, blah blah blah. Daggot, I had it right here too. Most of them ran eight to twelve weeks. Story arcs and newspaper. Here it is. This is the one that's gonna kill you. One of the storylines ran for seven months. Okay. <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. And I'm thinking, what kind of dedication do you have to a write that and b read it and follow it right? Um, but it also had um, somebody did right exactly. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, had Dr. Doom, and that's the one thing I did like about the Spider-Man comic strip, is you would typically see characters in the strip that Spider-Man wouldn't normally fight in the book. Um, and the other great thing is, just like the Superman strip, none of these were reprints of the comics. They were all original stories. Right. Um, they even had their own versions of some of the big storylines that were going over in Marvel Comics as well. So, like, the Mutant Agenda storyline was done in the strip. The whole... Um, Wedding strip was done as well, because remember, Mary Jane um, and Peter get married. But they also, and I would love to read this one and see how it ended. Um, actually, I'm going to tell you, because I have it here. Spider-Man, Brand New Day, with the whole end of the marriage, and they split it up. So, and I love this. This Spider-Man, Brand New Day, establishes the whole thing with Peter Parker, Mary Jane, and th that marriage never happened, I guess, um, taken away because Mephisto was like, I'll make a deal with you. The reader response was so negative, Lee reversed it in the comic strip. Ha, ha, ha. Wow. Now, he, he cheated. He had it be a bad dream sequence. But, oh. yes, it, it just shows you that not only us the comic readers who hated that, but even the readers of the comic strip, because a lot of the people reading the comic strip were not reading the comic books. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but, yeah, he actually said, okay, well, you guys didn't like that. I'll go ahead and change it. Which I guess when you're writing a comic strip that's not canon and part of the, the actual comic books, you can do that. So, oh, that's right. And he even actually used um, some of the, the Spider-Man 3 storyline with the Sandman in that comic strip as well. So, I, I didn't know what an influence the, the Spider-Man comic was that, you know, he had been writing it for all those 40 years that he actually picked up some of the other storylines, especially the whole, I knew that it was serial in nature, but man, a seven month long storyline. I mean, that's a full on comic series. Right. right. There. Yeah. Every day for seven months. That's, that's pretty You're, crazy. Well, remember it, uh, it also had the Sunday edition as well. And the, cause Spider-Man was the, was the one comic strip that even on Sunday, it tied in to the rest of the story. Right. Mm -hmm. So English, you got another comic strip? Yes, I do. Another one of my favorites I used to love to read uh, was Steve Canyon. 
that was written by, created by um, Milton Caniff. Um, Steve Canyon was an easygoing adventurer with a soft heart. Uh, originally a veteran running his own air transport business, the character returned to the United States Air Force during the Korean War and stayed in the military for the remainder of the strip's run. In later years, he was involved in Air Force intelligence and operations. He made his debut on January the 14th, 1947, and... Um, it ended on June 4th, 1988, due to the passing of Milton Caniff. Uh, this this was a very popular character for military and veterans because Milton Caniff would, um, during the Christmas holiday, um, re do reminders of the sacrifices made by the servicemen um, in their service to this country. And Steve, Steve Canyon was 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 a hero in every sense of the word. He was a stand-up guy, but you always knew where he stood. And he always was was all about writing what have you. And he had some interesting storylines. And he and one of the few characters that did get and stay married. And I used to like to read him from time to time. Uh, Milton Kane of style was unlike anything else. And he also was the co-creator. He also created Terry and the Pirates. Which um which was focused around another military, uh the, the lead character was a military guy, and he um had a bunch. I'm gonna remember was for Steve's or exactly what they were because I never really got into that, but um they both wound up being pilots for television shows and never got picked up, but it still got that treatment. And um though it's not in circulation anymore, he is still arguably one of the most popular military um military oriented comic strips that were ever created. You know, it's funny when you said Steve Canyon. For a half a second, I had it confused with that really boring nature one, Mark Trail. Mark Trail. Oh, yeah. oh <laughs> my I, God! And I was about to go, Enos. What is wrong with you? And there's a way back up, different strip. <laughs> Mark Trail. Oh my. <laughs> I. But you know, there was times I was like, "Okay, we need to see this. Why?" Right. I mean, there's plenty of times I tried to read it, and I'm yeah. like, I just don't get this trip. Why is it still going? And I'm like, birds flying over bodies of water, okay? Well, and here's the thing. Um, a lot of the comic strips today, have you tried reading the Washington Post Sunday lately? And no. the comic strips in there, oh my God, they're horrible. I don't remember the last time I picked up a newspaper, and that sounds terrible. I, mean, I haven't I read the comics, I think, truth be told, the last time I read the comics i was stationed at seymour johnson uh, i was heading into my last few uh weeks before we um got discharged after the gulf war and i used to love to read the phantom in the, the sunday the sunday uh paper for the goldsboro news august don't know if they're still publishing them but uh the, he the phantom's always been my guy so yep tommy well we gotta talk about the big dog Peanuts. I was, I was just going to ask you, are you going to hit Peanuts or not? Yeah, we, we, we got we to got talk about Peanuts. It's been, it ran from October 2nd, 1950 to February 13th, 2000. 50 years. That's wild. It's, yeah. it, it's got to be considered the most popular newspaper strip in, ever. I mean, I, I don't know what really could compete with it. Um, it had 17,897 strips in all, making it probably one of the longest stories ever told by a human being. It ran in over 2,600 newspapers with a readership around 355 million in 75 countries. Man. 
and mm-hmm. translated into 21 languages. And together with it and its merchandise, it's estimated that it earned Charles Schultz $1 billion. One billion. It's, it's, and it's fitting that uh, you refer to it as the big dog because, you know, Snoopy. Right. I mean, well, let's face it. We know who the most popular character in the Peanuts right. gang is. And, it was Snoopy. and who here did not want a dog as cool as Snoopy? Hmm. Every time right. you oh, read yeah. that or you watched the, watched the, the, the specials, you're like, how can I get that dog? Yeah. Right. I mean, he was the great World War II flying ace. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, who wouldn't, want, who wouldn't want a dog that can, you know, fly a doghouse and shoot down the Red Baron? I mean, come on. Right. Yep. Oh, World War One. That's right. World, yeah, right. World War One. The World War One and his stop with camel. Camel. Yep. Stop with camel. Yeah. AKA his dog ass. You know. So real quickly, everybody's going to pull the one if they can. Your favorite Peanuts cartoon. Mine, and I guarantee you, none of them, has, none of you has seen this one because this is a very early one. Charlie Brown is playing fetch with Snoopy, throwing a ball, right? And then there's one where Snoopy picks it up, and you see him drool, drool, slobber, slobber, drool, drool, slobber, slobber, and he gives it back to Charlie Brown, and he's holding it like this, and you can see the spit dripping off of it, and Charlie Brown just goes, yeah. And then the last panel is Snoopy walking around and going, and in that end of that game, quick. (laughs) 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 Snoopy's like, I ain't playing this game. (laughs) Mine were always... um... I haven't read them in a very, very long time, but mine were always the ones where um, Snoopy was trying to relax and then the bird would come and drive him crazy. Oh, yeah, Woodstock. Woodstock, that's what it was. <laughs> and they were just super like detailed sequences, but that's all it was. It was just the bird driving him crazy. Enos? I think one of the ones that always stood was, for me, Charlie Brown trying to kick the football. Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> Snoopy and t- I'm not Snoopy. Lucy antagonizing Snoopy, and then he licks her, and then she goes, "Oh, oh I got dog germs! Ah, I need some hot water!" Oh. You, you got you got to go with Sally and her sweet baboo. Oh yes, oh. you're like I'm not your sweet baboo. <laughs> there's an uh, there's I, can see, I can see that with Randy and Tom King at the. Uh, at the- <laughs> <laughs> I had to get it in there, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> It wrote itself, man. I had to throw it in there. <laughs> you know, Damn. But but even to this day, even to this day, every year in, in October, I watch it. I, I watch it's the Great Pumpkin. Oh Charlie yeah. Brown. So and and at Christmas time, I always watch a Charlie Brown Christmas. I mean, every year. I mean, it, it it's you know, that's great. We have at home the combo VHS DVD player. Uh, mm-hmm. So back before DVDs and Blu-rays were these things called VHS, I they were. But oh wow! The, the yeah, reason I have it, Ed must have that. The Reverend Ed must have that archived at right. home somewhere. The reason we <laughs> have it is because there are some movies that we have that are on VHS, which I told people I don't like them enough to go out and replace it on disc. When it dies on tape, I'll get it on disc. Um, we still have like three or four of the peanut specials on tape, even though they have all of them on a collective Blu-ray. And I'm like, we just need to buy a Blu-ray and be done with it. <laughs> yeah, this, this has always been my dad's favorite comic strip. One year for Christmas, I got him one of, one of his, his most prized possessions. I got him a Charlie Brown T-shirt. It's just all it is. It's the yellow shirt with, with, the, with the black bag around it. That's it. I found it online. He loves it. He wears it all the time. And you know, 
Charlie, um, the Peanuts comic strip gave us something that was very lasting. That is synonymous with the with the comic strip. You you know you can't watch a Peanuts cartoon without hearing this. Or no, uh, Schroeder's yes, the song that Schroeder's always playing on the piano. Yeah. Yep. All right, so comic strips were a huge impact on comic books. We, Like I said, using the Enos' um, comic book again as an example, you don't get these without these guys. Cass and Gemma Kids, Gasoline Alley, Ripley's Believe It or Not, Barney Google and Snuffy Smith. Oh, my God. Popeye. Flash Gordon. Blondie, Dick Tracy, Alley Oop, Bringing Up Father, Little Orphan Annie, and, and hundreds more. And Tommy, all those that I just listed, this is going to just blow your mind. All have a longer run than penis, which is you think about. Wow, they've been around that long. Yeah, so, well, especially when you consider peanuts was around for fifty years. Right, right. Um, and I think a couple of these even said they're still going. Like I think Gasoline Alley is still being printed. Now I'm sure they're reprints. They're not originals anymore, unless they, you know, it's one of those things where. Um, King Features has it. They're now on the property, and they just assign a writer to it every so many years. Because a lot of these are now public domain. Right. So, all right. That is the show for the week. I want to remind everyone that Mad Men does Shock Monkey Radio every Thursday from 6 to 7 p.m. here on FXBG Public Radio. We also have our Facebook group, facebook.com slash lost in the long box. Write to us at lost in long box at gmail.com, please, because I'm lonely seeing an empty email box. Um, and then we have patreon.com slash FXBG Public Radio. We have our three affiliated Facebook groups that are part of our show Batman, Yesterday, Today, and Forever. Realm of Superheroes, Comics, and Pop Culture, and gather together the greatest superhero teams. And stop in and see Olivia at Gateway Comics and Toys, and also at the yeah. other location up at Flashback Comics. Her or Ed will take good care of you. Um, see you all next week. Mark, Have a good night, everyone. Thanks again, guys. Really enjoyed the show. Psychiatric help. Five cents. I love it. I forgot about The doctor that. is in. The doctor is in. <laughs> Real in. <laughs> <laughs>